This is Damon Albarn, and you're listening to Hallelujah Monkeys, the number one gorillas podcast in the world. Hello and welcome to Hallelujah Monkeys for the beginning of June. My name is Dylan Flynn. My name is Trevor Rickrath. Dylan, it's season seven. Welcome to season seven of Hallelujah Monkeys. Brand new season uh, and brand new phase of gorillas. And I'll be honest with you, I kind of don't feel like finding out what you did this week. I just want to talk about crazy gorilla shit. There's a lot of it. So yeah, let's talk about gorillas news. Okay. Sorry, I closed the fucking news file because I thought we were done with it. You need to fucking get your shit together, buddy. Yeah, I know I do. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Okay. Trevor, usually what I like to do is like put the least exciting news story first and work my way up into like a fever pitch. What does it tell you about this week that the least exciting news story was Gorillaz debut four new songs from the Now Now at live festivals in Germany? It tells me we had a pretty exciting week for Gorillaz News. Dylan, did you listen to any of these? No, because uh, old old school listeners of How You Muggies will know we have like a policy about this. Right. I will occasionally listen to leaked studio versions of songs, but I refuse to kind of form a relationship with a leaked live version of a song because that's not necessarily the one that I'm going to be living with in the future. No, you've been burned before with the, the Good, the Bad, and the Queen, famously. Definitely. I listened to a bunch of Good, the Bad, and the Queen bootlegs before that album came out, and it kind of ruined the studio versions for me for a good long while. And I learned my lesson with Live Auburn. And I hear I hear listeners all the time who are who still, to this day, are like, oh, I wish Let Me Out on Humans was like the live version. Heard it all before. But hey... To thank you to those of you who have decided to spoil your Christmas, because I went ahead to went to the Discord, Trevor, and I grabbed some quotes uh, from from listeners who have already indulged to get like little one sentence teasers about these new tracks. I thought I'd share them with you. Cool. So we won't be entirely in the dark. Yeah. What's uh, what's the word on the street? Okay. So I made sure not to do anything too spoilerish here, right? Uh, so the first track that came up was trans. Uh, Discord user, beloved Discord user Must said, a song not like anything else the band has ever done. Very late 80s-esque track that has talking head vibes. Fun. Let's not let's not forget that, that Gorillaz has collaborated with a member of Talking Heads, Tina Weymouth, on 192000. Yeah, absolutely. Very excited. Uh, then Sorcerers, the next track, uh, Hunts, beloved member Hunts says, a nice funky guitar and bass. The synths on it are really nice as well. You know, he's just positive. But I do like the idea of guitar and bass. Yeah, yeah. I can always get down with Gorillaz doing a little funky thing. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Magic City, Jordan Powers of Gorillaz Trivia. God bless Jordan Powers. What a man. Long live Jordan Powers. Lovely dude. Uh, He says Magic City is the closest thing to pop on the album, but it still has a very special Gorillaz twist on it. That's good. And that's what it's all about, really, right? That special Gorillaz twist. That's what we're all here for. Some of us call it dark pop. (laughs) For zombie (laughs) hip-hop. Oh, I got to go change my iTunes ID4 tags for humility to zombie hip-hop. I forgot to do it. Uh, so what was that last song? Okay, I think it's called Sook I. Um, All right. Lori from uh, from the Discord, I believe also called into the fall uh, episode. Lori says, sounds like a Finnish Aspen forest to me. Hell yeah, Trevor. 
Very cool. That was one of our one both of our favorites on the fall. I always love when we when, when our top threes have mutual crossovers in them. Uh, it's great. And it's great. and they also said lyrically, it's a love song, not unlike to binge. Very cool. Cool. I like that. Yeah. Uh, definitely looking forward to hearing that one on the studio. Crazy now that like let's see. Idaho and and uh, if you add in Idaho and Hollywood and and uh, humility and Lake Zurich, I think there's only like three songs that from this album that have been played live now. Maybe yeah, a, a good half of it has already been played in concert. Well, that's a good point because th- there's not as many tracks on this as there were on Humans, and now today Apple Music on the pre-order page just put up that Sorcerers like the track time went up, which suggests maybe. Sorcerers is going to be another pre-release single. Okay, cool. Maybe like an Apprentice kind of deal. Like it's not really a single, but another sneak peek. Yeah, like we'll get some kind of a visualizer or something like that. Yeah, Um, I'd listen to that. I will listen to it too, but I am concerned about like how many of these songs is Warner going to burn before the album comes out? Yeah, but six months, a year down the road, you're not going to even remember that. And it's all just going to be one album. So That's a good point. That's a good point. Live a little. I don't think any differently about the pre-release Humans tracks than the rest of the record. As, as best friend of Gorilla's family member, Pusha T, would say, you only live once. <laughs> it's true. Let me, let me just ask Warner to maybe hold it at three. Show a little bit of chill here. Hold it at three. Um, okay, let's just start talking about lore. There's no other, there's nothing I'm more excited. Well, there's one thing I'm more excited about. We talked about some new songs. Let's talk about what's going on with the characters, because we have a wellspring of information to go through. Holy shit. You remember how nothing happened to these people in Phase 4? Well, that's over. Lore is back. Lore is back in a big way. Uh, so there's this noisy article that, like, goes through, like, what's each band member doing now, right? Right. Uh, about half the article really is focused on 2D kind of hitting into this new energy. He's like, yeah, the, the interviewer, uh, who's writing the piece, uh, meets up with 2D and Russell, uh, at a restaurant and the vibe is very interesting. He's, he's kind of like pretentious rock star guru douchebag now. He's almost kind of got a Bono vibe to him. In fact, they do this great parody of this joke about Bono where he's like at Live Aid on stage and he starts clapping his hands and he goes, you hear that? Every time I clap my hands, a child in Africa dies. And somebody in the audience yells, and stop fucking clapping your hands, you knob. <laughs> Classic. And, and, in this, uh, and in this gorilla's interview, 2D starts snapping his fingers and he's like, hear that? Every time I snap my fingers, a chicken dies. But I realized I could do a whole lot good for the world. Just not by snapping my fingers. Very funny. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, he's, like, yelling at the waiter. At one point, he, like, gives some sass mouth to Russell. That was very interesting. Very weird. And Russell, like, tries to explain it away, and he says, he's just evolving, like the world right now. We're in a storm pulling us in all directions, and in the dark of a storm, you need a lighthouse to guide you. 2D is that lighthouse. Very interesting. And in 2D's words, uh, he is the beginning and the end the Alpha and the Amiga. <laughs> Which I think is an old school computer that was very popular in uh, in Britain, but obviously not the word Omega, which he was looking for. Great. And what I think clearly what is happening here is 2D finally getting out from underneath the influence of Murdoch and being able to bloom into his own kind of person. And like a lot of like, you know, like 
aging British pop stars, his own kind of person is kind of an asshole. Well, it's a kind of a classic situation where like you, you kill one monster and the one that and the bully of the person who is being bullied by that monster gets to like spread their wings. But then you're like, oh, you're kind of shitty, too, aren't you? We've kind of seen it happen before back in Rise of the Ogre when Murdoch went to prison the first time. I actually didn't realize how closely this parallels that they've kind of done this before. Yeah, definitely. when he got a job working at his dad's fairground. And he started really uh, getting his confidence back and getting really into monster trucks. Yeah, maybe the best chapter in Rise of the Ogre, to be honest. That's a good one. Let's talk about the Murdoch Nichols of it all. Trevor, I had this like weird feeling because of all this ace business that like maybe we weren't going to hear anything about Murdoch until the end of this phase. But don't worry, there's plenty of Murdoch Nichols to go around in Phase 5 of Gorillas. He's still a very central character in Phase 5 of Gorillas, yeah. So he's at Her Majesty's Prison, Wormwood Scrubs, a real prison, and it happens to be, I did a little bit of research, Trevor, the very same prison that Pete Doherty of the Libertines was sent to. Powered by Mac Fry. Yeah, definitely. Kind of like, you know, rock star, rock star uh, legacy jail. Very cool. Uh, he's inmate 24602, which is a... A very clever nod to uh, uh, less miserable. Arguably clever. Yeah. And then let's here's where the Lord begins in earnest because we have villains to talk about. So uh, currently in prison, he's being tormented and bullied by this psychopathic prisoner whose name is Big Balls McGinnis. Yeah, we got a picture of him too. I know. Uh, from not from this article, but from a little a thing we'll talk about in a minute. And and he looks pretty gnarly. He looks pretty scary. Yeah. And then Murdoch kind of like swears that he's innocent of what he's charged of, which is by the way smuggling. We don't know the particulars of like what he's accused of smuggling. And usually, I would think like he probably did it. But his 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 like alibi is that he's been framed. By El Mierda, Spanish for Trevor. Zandre 3000? The shit. You remember there was that weird, like, barely even realized subplot of Strobe Light? Yeah, where... I think we all kind of assumed that there was going to be something going on there, but they ran out of either time or money or both to finish it. To remind you, basically at the bar, Murdoch at one point meets Phil Cornwall, who is his voice actor, in a live action role wearing this, like, fez with a weird mustache. And the, he hands Murdoch a, a business card. Murdoch reacts with some shock. And it's just kind of left at that. Uh, apparently this is El Mierda. And he is a demon, of course, because it's gorillas. And this is what's exciting to me, Trevor. He's a direct descendant of Santa Muerte, a Mexican folk saint, not recognized by the Catholic Church, who very famously in like the 70s and 80s was behind this cult who were like, kidnapping and killing people to sacrifice them to Santa Muerte in the hopes that she would give them wealth, uh, which is very cool. Very, very gorillas, in my opinion. That's the kind of saint I would want to be, I think, a folk saint. A folk saint, yeah. One where the Catholics are like, no, we can't get behind it, but the people know what's up, right? A saint of the people. And then predictably, of course, Murdoch is not happy with the band making an album without him. No, but he doesn't really mention Ace, and we don't get to talk to Ace either, which is kind of frustrating. He does swing by that restaurant to pick up Tootie and uh, Russell. Uh, yeah, in the he, car. he shows up in like an old school muscle car, and then the, uh, the, the article just moves on. There's almost this feeling of like, well, I don't know exactly what role Ace is playing in the lore aside from being the stand-in, but... Maybe we can speculate based on this next weird thing that happened, Trevor. Um, This really weird thing that happened uh, just today, shortly before we recorded this. So there's a new subdomain of Gorillaz.com, which is Gorillaz.com slash Free Murdoch. And it's it's kind of a, I guess, a classic Gorillaz 
you know, corporate partnership slash new technological weird thing. Uh, it's also kind of a mini game, which which I think you pointed out is very phase three of the band. It, this feels phase three as hell. Like this is like straight back to Murdoch first getting on Twitter and being like, hey, I'm broadcasting from Point Nemo. Somebody like pick up my signal and stuff like that. It's exactly what really it is. Really cool. It's exactly what it yeah. is. Because you basically, you go to this site and it's like, Murdoch needs your help. And then it tells, it tells you that you can contact him on like either Skype, Facebook Messenger, Kick, or Amazon Echo. And I got to tell you, I'm for the first time in my life, I wish I had an Amazon Echo. Because apparently the version of this minigame that you play on Amazon Echo is fully voice acted by Phil Cornwall, which I'm so sad that I didn't get to hear. Um, that is really cool. And I kind of like to think that they were expecting so few people to have Amazon Echoes <laughs> and like get to this through him yeah. that it was just Phil Cornwall responding in real time. Oh, man, that'd be sick. Maybe at one point he did get into a, a bit of trouble and he had like two or three going at once, but... I could just picture that. Having to jump back and forth. Yeah, definitely. So I ended up, I tried to do it on, I'll just say, at least as of this morning, this thing was buggy as hell and very sluggish. But I I tried to do this on, on Skype and then I got like four steps in and it just stopped responding to me. Um, and to this day, to this minute has still not responded to me. So then I moved over to Facebook Messenger and I was able to get through the whole thing. So... First thing it does is it asks you uh, to accept a communication from an inmate at this prison, and then Murdoch starts explaining his situation. He's very uh, uh, tormented by this Big Balls McGinnis uh, fellow. Right, and the first rule of prison everybody knows is uh, if you want respect, you got to find the biggest motherfucker on the yard and take him out. Yep. And Murdoch needs your help to do it. He needs to humiliate Big Balls McGinnis. It's kind of cute. He wants you to hack the, the public address system at this prison and, like, help him broadcast a humiliating message about Big Balls McGinnis. And when you do hack into it, you're kind of prompted for like a series of nouns, like a, almost like you're at like um like a like an improv comedy show in LA or something and they're asking you for <laughs> prompts. You know, like can I get a can I get an occupation? But it turns out what he's doing is you remember those mad libs when you were a kid, Trevor? Yeah, where you just like write like fart and poop and burp and everything. <laughs> yeah, give me an adjective, smelly, etc. Uh, you're doing one of those, and then this is the this is the you blinking you'll miss it, but kind of impressive tech of this whole experiment, which is that you give you feed it your answers, and then it spits a video at you uh, with your your answers woven into this little uh, voice clip of of the PA humiliating Big Balls McGinnis. I recorded mine. Let's hear that. Attention, citizens of Wormwood Scrubs. This is an urgent broadcast. Today is a very special day. It's Big Balls McGuinness' birthday, that's right, the anniversary of the day he tunneled out of his dear old mum. Lovely lady, Mrs. McGuinness. Striking resemblance to a giraffe. And it was interesting to learn her safety word is banana. Anyway, she revealed some juicy secrets about her little Big Balls. Numero uno, his real first name isn't Big Balls. It's actually Paula McGuinness. At school, he didn't have any friends. He used to sit by himself sculpting models of Stevie Nicks out of snot. Apparently, he's always enjoyed experimenting, and once got super gonorrhea from a pee. So, happy fucking birthday, Paula. Now come and find Murdoch Nichols. He's waiting. Really cool. Really cool. Very cool. Very neat. Uh, very well done. Very fun. 
And and I guess I I don't know how that went. Big Balls McGinnis looks tough, but I mean Murdoch is scrappy. Yeah, he also yeah. probably made a bunch of shanks and shit. So. I think he's also immortal. That's true. He could have just regenerated if he lost. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> at the at, so okay so then when you're finally done with the whole game, you get this one last message, and it says Murdoch asks that you remain on standby until mid July when he may need your help again. Very interesting. Mid July. Mid July. After the album comes out. Yeah, that's post the now now, but kind yeah. of dead in the middle of the tour, should we talk mm-hmm. about? Let's talk about the tour. North American dates have been announced. Trevor, I'm going to lose my mind, but before I do, let me just say that the band will be going to Toronto, Montreal, Philadelphia, Brooklyn, Boston, Chicago, and, oh shoot, I'm forgetting one more. What's the last one, Trevor? What is it? I can't remember. Let me think. Well, they probably wanted to hit some cities that they didn't get last time, which would involve probably skipping a couple that they played on the first tour, and... Yeah. I know I know they played L.A., so did they – I can't remember. Did they skip L.A. this time around? You know what? Either they skipped it or they announced that 2018 Demon Days Festival is happening in L.A. 2018 Trevor, Demon Days Festival is oh happening in L.A. We're going. You yeah, and me absolutely. Going. Hallelujah Monkeys will be there. And so will you, listeners, we hope. We're Hopefully, so excited. Yeah. Come out, see the band, see us, let us see you. Let's have a meet and greet. Let it not be forgotten that we have Arthur's phone number. We are calling Arthur. Maybe Absolutely. On We're the going show. to call him and tell him that this is happening because I think if we roll up to Demon Days Festival with Arthur in tow, we can meet yeah. Damon. Like we could. Oh, yeah. Like if we, meet if Damon, we really posse yeah. up with Arthur, like we'll definitely show up and we'll be like, look, it's your angel friend, Damon. And then we'll be like, can we ask you some questions about phase three? <laughs> Miracles happen at gorilla shows. Miracles happen at gorilla shows. The, the sequel to our live episode coming this year, almost a year to the day after. How the cool one. is that? Great, yeah, I like that a lot. Sick. I hope all of you, all of you loyal listeners, are coming because it's going to be the Hallelujah Monkeys meetup of your dreams. So let's talk about who else is going to be there besides us. I know we're the main attraction, but uh, some people are playing music too, right? There's some shocks, some shocks here. Yeah, I would have never predicted this first name. No, because she's not a Gorillas collaborator. No, but she is a beloved soul uh, queen and mother. Erica Badu is going to be at this festival. Yeah, legendary Erica Badu. I'm excited to see drum. I always thought a full drum set would be really fun. I'm sad that we didn't get one on our tour i know you're also really looking forward to kilo keys oh so much her set at last year's demon days was like i i was astonished and i can't wait to see it happen yeah i'm, I'm glad we're going to be able to witness something like that in person we've also got a drummer for the good the bad and the queen tony allen he'll be there fuck yeah dude he's an amazing drummer yeah. i'd love to see him you know in person and i know he's getting up there so these are one of these one of these people you want to make sure you check off you know before it's too yeah. late and also very enticing hypnotic brass ensemble yeah see like i don't know exactly how how stoked i am on a on a hypnotic brass set but i am stoked about like the implications of hypnotic brass ensemble being there for sure get some cool maybe plastic beach cuts in the gorilla set that'll occur at the end I mean, let's Let's find out. You know, these names are the people who do full sets, but you never know who's going to fucking show up as a special guest. So I'm just saying, like, maybe we get sweepstakes at this thing. That would be incredible. It'd be pretty cool if most stuff showed up, yeah. I also should point out that there is uh, some footage on, I believe, Mike Smith's Instagram story of Carl Vanderbosch, uh, second percussionist of Gorillaz, practicing Rock the House. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. 
So who would they bring out on Rock the House? <laughs> I think Dell. I think Dell's gonna show up. There's no way Dell knows that song anymore. I think he's gonna learn it specifically for this tour or maybe this festival. All right, I guess we'll see. We're 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 fat and and overindulged with good news right now, Trevor. But I I know that you're a classic Hallelujah Monkey sourpuss. So even now, with all of this windfall of great gorillas news, do, how do you feel about modern life? Trevor, tell me. Mo- modern life? Yeah, modern life. Modern life. Well, it's a complicated thing that I often find myself coming down, sometimes on both sides of the issue. Sure. But if I really had to pick a hill to die on here, I would probably say that, in my opinion, modern life is rubbish. Trevor, today we begin season seven uh, the way that we are beginning all seasons in our new format. With a Blur album. With a Blur album. Yep, that's right. It's time to talk about their sophomore album, Modern Life is Rubbish. Last time we uh, covered Blur, we met the boys, learned about their humble beginnings as as a small little baggy group called Seymour. And now we finally get to see them develop into uh, Britpop adolescence. Let's fingers cross this development, because I know that both of us came down at the end of Leisure feeling a little bit like, at, 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 just put it kindly, inauspicious beginnings for the band. Yeah, we, we, <laughs> neither of us were too hot on the record. Uh, you aren't a big Blur fan in general. No, I would say that Blur has like one album that is so culturally significant that it's like one of the great albums of all time, and then like two albums that I love so much that they're two of the great albums of all time to me. Mm-hmm. And then there's like a whole middle range of Blur albums that I, you know, I like, uh, that I that I mostly just go to for the cuts that I like on them and maybe don't play beginning to end all the time. And then I'll be honest, there's a few left over there that I just, I never really go back to. Leisure was one of them and, and there's, you know, there's another one or two. On the other <laughs> hand, Blur have always been one of my favorite groups. I think like they're, maybe the best band of the 90s. Damon Albarn is, of course, one of my favorite songwriters. Graham Coxon is one of my favorite guitarists. I love these guys' records. I love their songs. And I always have. But yeah, not a big fan of Leisure. This album we're talking about today, Modern Life is Rubbish, this is where I think the hot streak really begins. I mean, you know, you you could almost just say, like, start here, right? You don't have to really do Leisure. Yeah, this is, it's not quite the leap that uh, Radiohead made from Pablo Honey to the Benz, but... Yeah, for all intents and purposes, this could easily be Blur's uh, freshman debut. I my take on Modern Life is Rubbish has always been like that's a good album. It functions well as an album. A little bit on the long side, and to be honest, being not necessarily a fanatic of Blur, I mostly just go back for like the four songs that I love and am really familiar with. So it'd been a while. It'd been a while, Trevor. I mean, if if you're not a big Blur fan and you get like in the mood for some Blur, chances are you're going to pop on Park Life and that's going to satisfy you. This is the album for like when you want to go a little farther than Park Life, I think. Definitely, definitely. Um, And, you know, and stay in that same kind of era of Blur, I suppose. Right, because this marks the beginning of uh, Blur's famous Britpop trilogy. And also, some would say, maybe marks the beginning of Britpop itself. I mean, that's arguable. This is definitely Um, the early days. I will say that, that going into this album, like, learning its lore and its backstory was hugely helpful for me, like, 
forming a much more personal like relationship with this album trevor um can we go back can we go back to november of 91 when when our four lovable lads were sent to try and get america to pay attention to their album leisure and its singles by touring this this great country of ours i heard those shows really popped off too like america just couldn't get enough of blur right you must be hanging out with people who like to tell lies about Blur because that did not happen. Okay. <laughs> it did not go well. Uh, I think that America didn't like Blur and Blur returned to those feelings. This album was almost called, as many will tell you, Blur versus America. It's true. That almost happened. I think it would have been had there not been labels saying don't do that. Yeah. Although, deceptively, there was some success, Trevor, because the, the Leisure single, There's No Other Way, actually made it all the way to number five on the U.S. Billboard Modern Rock Charts. That's a good song. It is a good song. Uh, so you could imagine if you're if you're a Dave Roundtree, if you're an Alex James, you'd say, hey, turn on the rock radio station. Let's see if we can hear our tune on the radio, right? You're driving around on tour. You're in a van. You've got nothing to do but listen to the radio. So while you're waiting for that, that blur, that catchy little baggy blur song to come on, you also might have heard the number three song on that same chart that same week, Rooster by Alice in Chains. Let's hear a little of that. Yeah, here come the rooster. Yeah. The boys were not pleased, Trevor. No, I wouldn't be they either were... <laughs> if I was stuck in a small band <laughs> with three other dudes listening to Alice in Chains day in and day out. Yeah, grunge was not doing it for our guys. Uh, and it, I think it it really kind of compounded on the general misery they felt of not being able to, to penetrate this like ugly American culture that just wanted them to stop playing, you know? Um, and so, and so, by the end of this tour, uh, to quote Alex James, their eyes had all gone black, and yes. they were they were all just longing to get back to their idyllic little slice of England. Only to find that that same fucking Alice in Chains song got to number eight over in the UK charts. Just no escape. <laughs> so let me let me ask you a question, Trevor. Tell me if this setup sounds familiar to you. David Albarn leaves England. Goes to another country, sees a somewhat grim reality, comes back to Britain and wonders if that grim reality is going to invade his quiet little British town and decides to make an album warning slash saving us from this fate. Well, I would almost say uh, Damon pulled the same move more than 10 years later on a little album that you and I have reviewed on this program before called Demon Days. Is this like young Damon doing demon days with blur in a way it kind of is a little right? bit even the titles are kind of similar right modern life is rubbish and demon days one's a little bit more sneery and and I, li- I like that yeah i would have never drawn that connection kind of cool and and was big for me kind of really understanding what damon's doing here um but there is a difference right because because on on demon days the message was you know don't get lost in your in your 
in your little quiet uh, town, you know? Right. And, you know, this is a problem that a lot of people have with Britpop in general. That is kind of almost what Damon's trying to do here. He's trying to retreat back into that almost fairy tale version of Britain that doesn't really exist anymore. Well, this is a very good tee up for my. Uh, well, we've, we've branded this now, right, Trevor? This right, a- yes. Uh, anyone who has listened to the show <laughs> since it started will know that um, a key function that we've introduced has been coming up with three adjectives to describe the records we review. And I think six, seven seasons is way too long to go without turning like something like that into a like specifically branded part of the show. So we will now be referring to our three adjectives as our three Gorillatives. Gorillatives. With a Z. I'll, I'll say right now, this is a completely a Trevor Ickrath idea, and I think it's a it's a it's an excellent one. And I'm also embarrassed, like you said, that we've gotten this far without <laughs> Yeah, like I'll think about whenever I think about Hallelujah Monkeys, I'll be like, you know, Dylan and I are really great podcasters. But then I'll like go back and look at the show and realize <laughs> that like we didn't come up with a sign off until like episode like 25 or something it's really been a bit of a ramshackle operation we're a little bit kanye west in that we're we're always finishing it as it's happening you know always trying to fix wolves <laughs> always trying to fix wolves well you kind of we've, we've we've hit on some territory for mine so i'm gonna go first with my gorillatives trademark um my first one is upgraded i think that that if i could wrap this whole band in a in a sash that says most improved i would do it i think Really, I mean, obviously it's not, like you said, Pablo Honey to the Ben's level of a jump. But also, Ledger isn't as bad as Pablo Honey, so that's that's its own thing, you know? It's not just an improvement either. It's also like a refocus. Them deciding not to continue going down the baggy route, instead going down this Britpop road. I can't name an element of blur. Songwriting, lyricism, production, album structure, individual member playing, that I don't think is markedly better here than it was on no it's an improvement on all fronts they're just a better band my second one though harkens more to what we were just talking about and that's preservationist i like that a lot and i think that uh that really brings to mind one of damon's big influences on this record ray davies of the kinks specifically the uh, village green preservation society yeah yeah the idea of like there's something quintessentially english that we need to call out we need to nurture it we need to to show it that it show the world that it's special but it also calls to mind one of like 2018 Damon Albarn's, you know, greatest adversaries, which is the whole Brexit movement, right? Because That's there's true. something there's something vaguely isolationist about his view of England at this point, where it's like Damon Albarn in 1993 saying we need to keep Alice in Chains out of the country. Is that really so different than Nationalist Pickens in 2017 saying no more Arabs in my England? I mean, you know, and. That brings uh, to the conversation, I think, some of the more sinister undertones of Britpop as a whole, which is something I'm sure we'll talk about over the course of uh, our reviews of Blur's Britpop trilogy, this being the first one. Uh, you say that, like, Damon was saying, let's keep Alice in Chains off the radio. A lot of people will tell you what Britpop was saying and what the music industry was saying by pushing Britpop as hard as it was is let's keep these, you know, very Anglican white male pop stars on the radio while marginalizing some of the more experimental music, such as trip-hop, that was just starting to bubble up and was largely made by people of color. It is a fine line, Trevor, between patriotism and nationalism, you know? Definitely, and Britpop walks that line a lot more finely than many would like to admit, I think. 
Definitely. My third gorillative TM is clever. And I think that that's, they, there's, <laughs> they're so aggressive on this album. The band is so aggressive in its pursuit of finding unusual melodies and chord progressions and key changes that they that I think they and character too. Definitely. That I think that they kind of thoroughly explore that thin line that stands between good clever and like too clever for their own good. Yeah, I mean the Damon and Friends love to dress up as baggy kids. They love to dress up as middle class mods, but really what they are is art students. Yeah, absolutely. And sometimes like 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 a pretentious art student Sometimes they break new ground in a way that you're like, fuck, this is exciting, this is different. And sometimes you're like, well, that's a little contrived, I don't know about that, that doesn't feel natural, that doesn't really work. Uh, You know, clever. Maybe too clever for their own good. Yep, a little bit. I'm excited to hear your gorillatives, Trevor. I'm very excited. Like like I've told you, this has always been a... I've always been very fond of this album, so I know it quite well. And what I decided to do is pick gorillatives that spoke not only to its music and the themes that Damon explores, but also the people that populate this record. Because when uh, Blur shifted from being a baggy band to being a Britpop band, uh, there was a change in Damon's songwriting as well. He went from writing about uh, whatever he was doing on Leisure, I'm still not totally sure, to these kind of like very specific, very Ray Davies, very British character sketches. And as a result... These albums, Modern Life is Rubbish, Park Life, and The Great Escape, the last one especially, we'll talk about that when we get to it, all read like kind of quirky anthologies, like filled with back-to-back character pieces where every song explores a different kind of like a mundane life. It, it would be almost journalistic if the characters themselves weren't so like caricature-ish. Absolutely. Which makes it feel more like a satirical novel or something. Totally. It's... Damon giving you a look into this fairy tale Britain of his. But I think this mode of writing, I love it heads and tails over whatever Damon was doing on Leisure, for sure. Definitely, yeah. So the words I've come up with to describe this album and the people that live in it are dissatisfied. Great. Empty. Oh, that's good. That's really good. These are people that are always trying to fill themselves (laughs) up with something, but it never really seems to work. Right. And my last one uh, speaks to your uh, preservationist one, um, conservative. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I don't just mean that in like a political sense. I mean that in a personal way, too. These are songs about people that uh, either cannot or do not want to change. Yeah, who can't make big leaps. Yeah, they grow up and they live and they work and they play and they die all in the same small towns or cities that they're born in, I think. They think about going on wild vacations but never do it. Yeah, yep. they're, they're, they're locked into a way of life. They're a little yeah. too afraid to get out of it. And I think they're also afraid to admit how well it works for them. Definitely. Definitely. Speaking of working well, do you want to get into this first song? Sure, yeah. Uh, because I think it works pretty well. This is what many people will tell you is one of the definitive Blair songs for tomorrow. He's a 20th century boy with his hands on the rails, trying not to be sick again, and holding on for tomorrow. I will say that all week I have been annoying my spouse by loudly declaring out of nowhere, "He's a 20th century boy." Great. Uh, it's a very, it's a very like 
iconic opening moment for a record, I think. Don't you? Definitely. And this really sets the tone for what Blur is going to be about from here on for their next couple albums. Like, this is a statement of intent, if ever there was one, I think. It's really illustrative of that step up, too. Absolutely. Um, This was written, we should just give a little background. This song was written under duress, I guess, right? Uh, Basically, Food Records, or more specifically, David Balf, the the villain of Modern Life is Rubbish, and maybe more at this time, thought that this record didn't have any singles, and so he said, okay, boys, you're going back in the studio, you gotta make another, you gotta make a hit for Food Records, and uh, and Damon had to write this song on his Christmas break while he was with his family. That's lovely. (laughs) Now we know why he relates to Eminem so much. I mean, that's a thing that would frequently happen to him, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. What do you think of this one, though? Because, like I said, this is kind of a big one in the Blur catalog, it feels like. I, you know what, I, I, I like a lot of what's happening here. I like the way that the verse kind of weaves between these two different keys. Um, I, I like the, the, I, you know what, part of my issue with Britpop Blur is just the shouting Damon voice that he employs for a lot of it. There's times where I'm, I just feel like saying, okay, dude, bring it down just like 25%. You feel, you he seem... sounds a little bratty here, too. Yeah, and I and I get the attitude and all that, but it's a little... By the end of the record, there's moments where I wish he'd rein it in just a little bit more. But I think that this is this is great, and, and my favorite thing about it is just the lyrics here. I think they're great. They're very authorial. They're describing this young kind of Londoner girl and boy, Susan and Jim, and there's great contrast before them or between them, because you've got Jim, he's got his hands on the rail because he's all shaky and tenuous, and then Susan, she's got her hands on the wheel. She's in, she's confident, she's in control. And then in that third verse, they, you know, they meet each other, they go they go up uh, to, to Primrose Hill, which, by the way, has a very famous piece of graffiti on it based on this song. In the middle of the walkway on Primrose Hill, right before you get to the big stunning view of London, there's a, a graffiti on the ground that says, and the view's so nice, a reference to that lyric. I love that third verse. Me too, that happens over the la la la. Yeah, Damon kind of stops singing and he goes into this spoken word mode where he tells the story about the song's two characters and we learn a little more about them. And I, I, I gotta admit, I don't love everything before that. I think this is a good Blur song. It's a really good single and it's a good introduction to this new phase of the band. And I like the way it captures the feeling of the lyrics, too. Like, this is a song about perpetually almost being sick, and it really sounds like that. There's a lot of woozy stuff going on here, especially the way Damon sings, too, and the chorus vocals. But there's something about it that just doesn't quite get to that level for me until that third verse kicks in, and Damon starts doing his spoken word delivery, and everything really clicks for me. Yeah, it really helps how tossed off his delivery is there, I think where everything else is a little bit more stilted. Yeah, it feels like he's like reading from like right from his lyric notebook or something. I don't disagree with any of your criticisms here, but I really I can't imagine this album starting any other way. Like this No. This absolutely blows the uh, a hole that the rest of the album can then sort of tunnel through, you know. Yeah, and it introduces you to Brit Poplar. Absolutely. And and I, I don't know if I need the the singing before each chorus. I feel like the chorus kind of doesn't need that. But you, you kind of understand that the la 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 las are coming from these characters, and you don't need that. It that feels a bit forced. Yeah. I really like those laws, though. I actually really do, and I think especially once they become a bed for that third verse, it really kind of 
starts to make sense, you know? There's a great extended version of this song, too, that I think even found its way onto their best of, called uh, Visit to Primrose Hill Extended, where you get a much longer brass-driven outro towards the end, and it's really effective. Oh, that's interesting, because this yeah. version has some strings. This version has the Duke Quartet, who would, who would later kind of become Blur's go-to string section, and they also mm-hmm. work with... A lot of a lot of British royalty, like the Pretenders and Simple Minds and the Cranberries and stuff. Yeah, the arrangements on this song really do blow me away. All the strings and the horns going, it it really feels great. I think just as far as like Damon, short story caricature writer, it's like one of the strongest moments on the album on that level. I, I like what he's saying here. I like the moves he's making here lyrically a lot. Definitely, it's also it also feels a bit more like one of the more impressionistic ones. I agree. I agree. It deals more in mood than actual character. So how about this next one, Advert? I feel like they kind of settle into the sound a little bit better here. Food processors are great. This is my second favorite song on the album. Oh, great. This is a very fast song. And when the whole band kicks in, like, led by Graham's really aggressive guitar, it just rocks. It's great. great song though i'm really into this one i like damon's delivery a lot i love the um holiday in the sun chorus which feels a bit like a shout out to um the sex pistols sure and and i think it's one of my favorite hooks on the record it's just really strong Mm -hmm. and again this is a song about a person who needs a vacation but will never take one and there's a good subtext here in this in these lyrics i to me the observation here seems to be that like the it's the culture it's trying to sell you solutions and analgesics for problems and wounds that it's giving you, you know? Yep. In this kind of never-ending cycle of the charlatan who, like, stabs you in the back and says, oh, I can patch that up for you. I I love that, and I love the waiting in the tube station imagery and seeing all these advertisements and thinking, like, I need all this shit because I don't have anything, you know? (laughs) It's very satisfaction by the Stones. I quite enjoy Damon's little yelping delivery of, say something else! Yeah, and it echoes. That's really good. That siren going on in the background is really cool as well. I can understand both of those elements potentially wearing on people, but I think they're great. I do think Dave is a little straightforward here, Roundtree. I I hate to say it. James, I think, uh, almost never turns... Well, one time James does something I don't... Alex James does something I don't like. Roundtree, though, continues at times to be the weak link of this band for me. I gotta say it. I gotta say it. I... I still don't think um, Alex and Dave are doing anything particularly creative on very many of these songs, but I think they do a good job holding it down as a rhythm section. It's hard when you've got two members of this band like really making a path forward into becoming geniuses, you know? Yeah. Tough. But I will say, I think they keep up with them pretty well. That's cool. Average your number two on the record. I like that. It's 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 yeah. It doesn't crack it but i do think that this is a a great one and one of the best hooks for sure could have been a single could have definitely been a single at least in the uk at least in the uk next we've got colin zeal you talked about ray davies from the gigs earlier yeah this is very ray davies very xtc as well i think just yeah a little Britpop character study about some neurotic dude who doesn't really know what he's doing in his life. Collins and the value of my sophia. 
funny you brought up XTC. You know, Andy Partridge of XTC attempted to produce this album. Apparently, it didn't work out. Yeah, we'll we'll talk about that in a, in a few songs, I guess. But but yeah, that's funny that you that you brought him up. It is very XTC though, and making plans for Nigel or whatever. This one has some cool stuff going on with the bass. I think this is maybe uh, Alex's finest moment on the album. I think all of them sound awesome here especially in this intro with with that winding bass line roundtree sounds really heavy really propulsive coxon's playing some of these are not like really ominous sounding riffs you know that that almost don't go along with the subject but still work in a weird way um but i do have a funny quote here from damon apparently coxon tried to really sonic youth this one up with like a huge like noise solo and damon hated it but he managed to convince coxon to instead go play with an electric power drill which I guess is very low in the final mix Trevor interesting and in his quote about it was David said the trick with Graham is to give him the illusion that he's making a racket <laughs> sounds about right oh good but yeah I, I like Not- I like all of Damon's lyrics on this one too a lot especially the second verse while sitting in traffic, calling things in automatic, he's an immaculate dresser. He's your common aggressor. It's a really good one. I, I feel like this album is maybe less front-loaded than Leisure, but I think that the writing is a bit front-loaded. I think Damon's like best lyrics kind of happen in the first half. I could see that, but yeah, it does feel like the quality is a bit more spread out. This is a little bit like the, the singing lead into the chorus on For Tomorrow, but I feel like these choruses also don't need that slightly corny megaphone and then he lead in. Yeah. A little too much. Again, you could have just left it out and it would have been communicated fine. I love the, the chorus though. He looks at his watch. He's on time. I, very funny. Uh, yeah, he's pleased with himself. I think in spite of some sort of dated language here, uh, what makes this kind of look at this normie asshole song work for me is that it's so specific. The observations are so specific, you know, that he has a, a carotene tan and he's like self-satisfied that he's always on time like all these things really make this character feel alive to me totally and at the same time it's a broad enough caricature to fit so many people um colin seal very good yeah next up we've got pressure on julian It's a little, it's, it's, it's good. I think this is a, one of the weaker ones on the first half. I still like it a lot, but I think it's a little messy and it feels kind of half-baked. This one dates back to the, the tour, the leisure tour. It's early. Okay. Only the magical transit children sing, sing a lullaby, ba, ba, ba. Sitting on the pavement, sucking on a long straw. It's colorful, it's colorful, but it washes. Not a winner, this one, for me, but there is, there's stuff here that I, I do like. Uh, I like the melody in the verses. I do also like the, the melody in the verses. I don't love Alex's bass tone here. It's a little too kind of 1993 modern rock radio sounding, and I'm not really a fan of the, like, kind of slow, undulating hips riff that Graham is doing on the verses. Yeah, I'm not a fan of that either not really into that and i yeah. think the speed up during the bridge at the end is unfortunate that's like so leisurey to me that little mm-hmm. speed up that they do totally. everywhere there are a couple uh unfortunate speed ups on this record i do love the pre-chorus especially in that first verse the here is my violence and here is the excuse that's really good that's also a great lyric and that's then... that's my favorite part of the song the chorus though i think feels a little it, it falls a little flat 
you know what? The chorus is what gets me through this song because I love Coxon's like like busy modern life riff that he's doing here. That bam, bam. I love that riff. I just don't really care for the we planned it all this way refrain. Doesn't really do much. I barely, for me. I barely even listen to it because I'm so into what Graham's doing there. Uh, I don't like the little last minute key change that Damon does here, where he goes pressure on Julian, which it just feels over tinkered with. It feels like bad clever to me. You know? Yeah, there's there's a couple bad clever things going on in the song. Probably the first disposable song on the record, I would say. But here's the best thing about this song for real. So we mentioned earlier that this album has a has a sort of comical caricaturish villain which is their label head david balf uh so david used to be in a in a band before he was a, a label stooge and that band was called teardrop explosion uh and their lead singer was julian cope and julian cope fired david because he was such an asshole okay and the reason that this song is called pressure on julian is because david was taking a little dig at referencing sort of his arch nemesis his arch nemesis in his uh, in his own song dante is a scrub right dante is a scrub <laughs> i dig it <laughs> very good yeah what good lord uh yeah but i don't know Close to the bottom of the pack. Not a winner for me. Like this next one a lot, though. Star Shaped is my number three on the record. close to my number three but i but i'm a big fan there's so much lovely stuff going on in this song from uh the woodwinds to graham and uh damon's vocal interplay during the choruses really love it when these horns come in they really recall those great like george martin arrangements on beatles songs yes uh, this is very beatles-esque definitely i love this chorus probably my favorite on the album save maybe for one other one i love this chorus yeah here's something i don't say a whole hell of a lot i think dave roundtree is fucking amazing on this song cool i think his drumming is great great something else that's kind of funny is so apparently at the end of the song graham is on a moog synthesizer or he's supposed to say moog i can't remember i don't remember and he, he starts pushing it higher and higher until apparently it leaves human ear range and so on the liner notes he gets credited for playing anti-cat and anti-dog synthesizer <laughs> Great. <laughs> I really like those backing vocals of his during the chorus, though. So good. The, so, for the future and all for the good. He's got such a lovely little falsetto that he brings it's out. Very, it's very feminine. It's very pretty. Uh, and yeah, it's kind of el- it's almost like Elvin. I like that he's disagreeing with the with the chorus lyric too. There's just something. Yeah, I feel so unnecessary. We don't think so. You seem star shaped. Really cool. good. Uh, this also shares its name with a with a fly on the wall documentary that was produced by Mr. Kerry Levy. What's up, Kerry Levy? Friend of the program. Following the band at this time, I watched a little bit of it. How was it? He seems drunk and fun, <laughs> as you would expect from this period of blur. I think, yeah, uh, yeah, star shape. That instrumental bridge is maybe my favorite part of the record. Just beautiful, just beautiful. Yeah, great hook. Yeah, this is this is the sound, in my opinion. They found mm-hmm. the sound. They nail it here. This next song I'm a big fan of as well, Blue Jeans. Oh, welcome to one of my ten favorite Blur songs and my favorite song on this album. Uh, 
Nice, cool. Definitely. This is a big one for the whole conservative vibe, I think. Uh, this this comes at exactly the right moment on the album, in my opinion, for a changeup like this. And uh, yeah, to me, to me, it's like everything else that I like on this album, I like. This is one of my favorite Damon Albarn songs. It's just in a class of its own for me. It's a real grower too. This one isn't one that sticks out at you on like the first, second, or even third listen. This is one of the songs that I think you start returning to more once you really start to live with the album and you just kind of want to just, like, exist in it. A lot of this album is sort of flashily flaunting its sophistication. I think that this song is quietly sophisticated. It's subtly sophisticated. Sure. The chorus is such a joy. I love how Graham strips away that tremolo guitar that he plays during the verse and suddenly the chorus just sounds, like, so clear like it's just locking into focus out of nowhere, uh, and I love the 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 high harmony on "I don't really want to change a thing." It's very Fleetwood Mac, very very beautiful, and these lyrics are are, are I guess ex- explicitly ex- sorry explicitly about Justine Frischman of, of Elastica, uh, who would be a big inspiration for. A future Blur album in a in a darker way, yep. but but I really like this Damon quote about this song. He said it, that blue jeans just makes me feel like being in love and moving to this part of London and falling in love with the place. There's an innocence to it. It sounds like being 23. Very cool. There is definitely an innocence to it, and I think uh, this really speaks to the uh, preservationist side of the record too, very explicitly. You know, I don't really want to change a thing. I want to stay this way forever. Definitely. And it's so romantic, you can just go with it yep. on it, you mm-hmm. know? Totally. And Graham's doing some very cool stuff in, in textural uh, guitar, and there's, like, some really clean sounds on here, some very tremolo sounds, some very distorted sounds. He's really painting. Is there some melodica on this song as well? It sounds like there might be some cut-up melodica during one of the verses. Yeah. In, in, I like it, though. It is very cool. Uh, it works very well. It just strikes me as, like kind of the best song this Damon Albarn could have written with all of his skills at this point, you know? Like, there's an effortlessness to it, but also, like, here's, in, in a quieter way, here's, like, every trick this dude knows right now. I really love it. I really love it. I really like the pairing of Star Shaped and Blue Jeans, especially because it feels like you're getting two of the more underrated Blur tracks in the catalog, one after the other. It definitely feels like one of the strongest sections of this record. I completely yep. agree. And I think that strength continues right on to the next song with my number one on the album, Chemical World. The piney girls had enough of the fleets. Tried to pass into the country. Although she got herself rosy cheeks. She didn't leave enough money to pay the rent. The landlord says that she's out in a week. What a shame she was just getting dumped. She's eating chocolate, doing juice In a chemical world It's very, very, very cheap So, Trevor, even though food and Dane Balf had already made <laughs> David write for tomorrow during Christmas break then they sent the album over to their US label 
who still didn't think that the album had a viable single. So once again, David had his arm twisted behind his back and was forced to dance, monkey dance, and write another song. And this was that song. Well, I think he did a real bang-up job with this song because I love Chemical World. It had a, I've always been a real champion of this song. It kind of gets forgotten amidst some of their other singles. It didn't make it onto their best of. But I think this one is great. I mean, if it were not for this song, there's you could argue that that Blur potentially might have spun out of the record industry. It made enough. It made kind of just enough money to keep people interested. It it, it got to uh, twenty eight in the UK, but it got to twenty seven in the US on the modern rock charts, which is just kind of like just enough modest success to think, well, maybe they're, the, maybe we're not done with Blur yet, you know? Right. I do think the commercial success of this song, honestly, cynically enough, I think it's almost entirely predicated on that riff that Graham is playing here, which I think is a very good riff, but it wouldn't also feel that out of place in like a post-Nirvana radio landscape, you know? No, it would fit in really well with that kind of sound, I think. Yeah, it, it's not grungy by any any chance, but it feels like it wouldn't be super out of place. But uh, can we talk? You know more about this than me, but there's like 5,000 versions of this song, Trevor. What's going on? I think there's three versions of this song. There is okay. the single version, uh, which also appears on the original UK version of the album, I think. Yeah. Which you can, you can recognize because... It has that intro se- instrumental section with uh, uh, Dave's um, stop-start drums, which I actually really like. I like that intro part a lot. It feels like it hit. It hits hard. The album version is is probably my favorite of these three, just for those that drum sound. I love that drum. And sound. the album version also has a very distinct effect on Damon's vocals, where it sounds like he's kind of a robot. Or yeah, something. kind of chorusy, like yeah. a little little bit of a chorusy thing yeah. going on. Mm-hmm. Then there's the reworked version, which uh, I believe was a B-side on the single, which uh, doesn't have that intro, and I think it's got a different guitar take and some different vocals, and the drums are mixed differently, too. I've seen this happen on other British singles, because the idea is that you want to give the radio DJ like an option here, where if they're not feeling the A-side mix, but they think they could do something with the B-side, they could just play that one, you know? And then there's a third version, which appeared on the American version of the album, which is actually the demo version of the song and is my favorite one. I think this is the best version of the song. It's got these, it doesn't have the guitar intro, so it kind of gets right into the song. Damon's vocals aren't too processed. They're just kind of processed enough. And there are these like lovely harmonies during the bridge where Graham joins in. I like it a lot. One of my favorite Blur tracks. I think the demo slash US version is probably like the easiest one to follow. Um, I still like this album version a little bit better just because I like that extra texture, even though I know it makes it less commercial, I guess. Uh, it's a little flashier. That being said, this is not really a favorite of mine on this record. I do I think it's I think it's good. It's got a good bright Damon verse melody, but I the chorus feels kind of like a shrug to me. I don't know. Yeah, I think everybody's operating at the top of their game here. I really like the synergy between Damon and Graham on the demo version. Like don't get me wrong, I like these lyrics, but it feels like he's moved out of his more observational style here and and now he's doing something a little flashier that I don't like quite as much. Uh, I don't know. It almost feels like a really quick summation of everything going on because he's like switching subjects like line by line, especially when he gets to like the second verse. He's talking about Peeping Thomases and Townies sticking together. It just feels like a little bit more like stylish in a way than the more like. Yeah. Well, it was the single. Yeah. Know? 
I think Graham is the MVP here, though. I love that little solo that he does on the outro. I love everything he does here, actually. I think he's uh, yeah, he's weaving between riffs and arpeggios and chords and textures, and he's just kind of like spinning a million plates here, and, and it sounds terrific. Great early Graham moments. Chemical World, not not really a big one for me, but I, but I understand that it was a, a, a big one for the band, and the video's kind of fun to watch, too. I like it. My number one. Okay, so then you want to talk about intermission? Sure. Little piano interlude track here. Uh, This was a hidden track on the UK version of the album, but it got its own song on the US edition. And the the background of the song is kind of interesting. So uh, the original title of this piece is The Intro, and it was used to open up the very first Blur gigs back in the Seymour days, but only if the venue they were playing in had a piano because they didn't tour with one. So, like, they would show up if they had a piano. They're like, oh, cool, we get to do the intro tonight. And they would play it. I got to say, I kind of like this, and I think the album needs this where it happens. Um, I don't really think it needs it where it happens. It's okay. It's kind of cool. It's a jaunty piano tune that really speeds up and picks up in intensity as it goes on until it really feels like the wheels are flying off and everything's going to explode at any moment. I don't want to call everything that's happened so far, like, samey, but I also am thankful that there's such a, like, dramatic palate cleanser here because I kind of, I feel like I need to kind of reset myself a little bit here. Um, It definitely is a palate cleanser. It comes right at the end of side one. Really like the piano. I wish Graham had picked a different tone here. It's a little butt rocky, but... Eventually, he kind of goes full ska, which is fun. Yeah, it does go full ska, doesn't it? This is definitely the best version of Blur doing a little band speed up that they've done so far, just because of like how much it falls apart at the end. They do execute it well here, but here it's kind of the point of the song, which I think is why it works. That's why it works. It's because they're not plunking into the middle of a, of a fucking song. Um, but speaking of plunk, I love the big discordant piano jerk at the end of the whole thing. Very funny. Yeah, and we should mention that this song was recently featured in um, Edgar Wright's Baby Driver. We should also mention that right now, listeners of Hallelujah Monkeys uh, can get an excellent deal on some excellent headphones if they go to studio.com. Trevor, tell me about studio. Studio. (laughs) They are the uh, Swedish lifestyle company that's sponsoring the show now. They sent us some free headphones. Uh, you told us about yours last week. I've also been having some fun with mine. I picked up the Region. Tell me about the Regions. I was a little jealous when I saw which ones you were getting, especially because they have those swappable plates on them, which is very studio. You're more of an in-ear guy, but me, I don't like having things plugged into my ears, so I've always been a classic cans kind of guy. I love a big, dorky pair of big headphones that you can put on. And hey, you like a big pair of cans. I like a big pair of That's cans. That's what we can do. Sure, yeah. Um... <laughs> Jesus. Uh, They're very stylish. They're very comfortable as well. You know, I've got a lot of hair, and it can be hard for me to keep my headphones on my head. I have a pair of Sonys that are uh, plug-in headphone jack models, so, like, they're from the past. And they sound good, but they really slip on and off my head sometimes. But uh, the, the, the regions, man, they they're so, like, they're snug without being tight, and they just really stay in place no matter what I'm doing. Awesome. I think you get pretty good battery life, too. It's it's more than my trays. Uh, I, I've been using them for about a week and a half now, and I, I think I've charged them, like, once. Awesome. Awesome. Yep, it's great. Stylish. They come in black. They come in white. Uh, the sound is good. You know, um, 
an album that people will tell you you should use to test drive new headphones and new stereo equipment and stuff like that is one of your favorites, right? Yeah, Asia by Steely Dan. Asia by Steely Dan. Great I didn't give to... I didn't give that one a spin, but I did put it to a more personal test of mine, and I uh, did something that I like to do when I get a new pair of headphones. I listened to Demon Days straight to back. Hell yeah! Sounded pretty sounded pretty crisp, huh? Sounded pre- pretty nice. Very crisp. Uh, good sound stage. You know, good mix. I actually noticed some things in songs that I never really heard before. Like I'd, I'd never really paid attention to those really. Uh, distorted kind of twangy guitar lines in Last Living Souls, those are really cool. And I oh, would have never picked up on them without Studio. Hell yeah, man. If you want to be like me and Trevor, go get yourself a pair of trays, a pair of Regents, or whatever else. Make sure to go to studio.com, S-U-D-I-O.com, and don't forget to use the offer code GORILLAS, with a Z, at checkout for 15% off your order. I, I, I love these headphones. I'm so glad that they're in my life now. I want them to be in your life. Studio designing sound. I don't recommend trying to be like me and Dylan, but I do recommend going and picking up a pair of these headphones. Studio <laughs> designing sound. <laughs> Very good. Uh, can we talk about the second half of this record, Trevor? The second half of Modern Life is Rubbish. Which opens up with another single, Sunday Sunday. This is my number three on the record, Trevor. My number three. Really? Yeah. Interesting. Sunday, Sunday, here again, tidy and tired. You eat the color supplement, the TV guide. You dream of protein on a plate. Regret you left it quite so late. Gather the family around the table to eat and up to sleep. Oh, the Sunday sleep. I think that this is my favorite version of the modern life is rubbish song okay the 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 advert for tomorrow song um this was written in damon's minneapolis hotel room during the second part of the u.s leg of the leisure tour uh after an extremely depressing afternoon wandering around around a local mall and it almost kind of feels to me like he was trying to do a little seance of Britishness in writing this song to like retreat into not unlike Brick Smith writing that song LA I was just gonna say in this nation saving grace that's kind of really what opened the song up for me and uh, totally this was their highest charting single from this record in the UK it still was a little bit of a disappointment I think it only came in at like number 27 Uh, David Balfe however of Food Records hated it and his famous quote was when was the last time you heard a hit that sped up in the middle? <laughs> Graham Coxon also not a fan of this song and says he hates playing it and tries to keep it off the set list whenever he can. It's a weird choice for a single, I think, especially when you have songs like Advert on the record, because this is a real, like, very kinksy, uh, musical-inspired song, just about, like, mundane British life. It really uh, brings to mind one of my relatives, I think, uh, Empty, because this is a song about trying to fill yourself up with TV and the radio and Sunday dinner. And I think this one, uh, I think you really touched on something by calling it like the perfect version of the Modern Life is Rubbish song, because I think it almost more than any other track on here kind of foreshadows Park Life. Oh, definitely. Like it really finds them dipping their toes like away from the side of the pool that has like all of the fun, like grungy punk uh, swim toys and more of the like kind of 
classic, Baroque yeah, definitely stuff like that. I think it feels like the album's most explicit challenge to grunge music too. It's 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 hoppy, it's organy, it has horns. It's about having Sunday roast. It's got a swing. To it's it. like this is about dinner with your British ass family, and it's like put this on the fucking radio because we can't let Alice in Chains happen, you know. Uh, and and speaking of horns. Excellent coronet solo here from from Paul Spong. Who's oh, the horns are the best part of the song, like by far. This I is think. A, this Paul Spong dude has been on like all the great Elton John records and the, and a bunch of Rolling Stone records and Kate Bush. Like he's a, he's he's British royalty in and of himself. Um, speaking of organ, also that's like maybe the only time change in a proper Blur song that I really like, and I really like that organ section. I think it's a lot of fun. Yeah, that, uh, this this is another example of Blur speeding up the middle and not really winning me over with it. I like that section quite a bit, and, and I think the melody is like pure Blur Damon and, and really excellent, and I like how rather than giving this like a a big finish, it just kind of trails off really suddenly out of nowhere, and uh, uh, I don't know, man. It's weird. It's fun. I I love its Britishness. There's, it just it just really works for me. I like it a lot. This would have definitely been in my top three if I had just discovered this album. Because when I was a teenager, first getting into Blur and Modern Life is Rubbish, I was all over this song. But uh, as my relationship with the record has gone on, I've found it kind of falling out of favor in favor of songs like uh like I've said, Blue Jeans and stuff like that. The more uh, reserved numbers, I think. I feel that. Do you happen to remember what the single art from this song looks like? Because it's it's amazingly grotesque. It's like this really unappetizing illustration of this impossibly large cheeseburger. Yep. Uh, yeah. That like really churns the stomach just to look at. Blur has some interesting <laughs> single covers. None of them are really very visually aesthetically pleasing. Sure. Um, but I will say this era of blur has some great B sides, which have been officially released in a couple different places. So I recommend going out and checking any of the B sides from this album because they're all great. So fucking jealous of the blur fans and how much, how much of the supplemental shit that they have access to as opposed to us poor ass gorillas fans, right? Seriously. Yeah. You'll get spoiled if you're a blur yeah, fan. No kidding. Speaking of, of spoiled, what about oil on this next track? Oily water. <laughs> This is like one of two big cuts for me on the album. I don't like this song. Oh, this is my least favorite song on this album. I, yeah, I, it's, I, I don't like the way it sounds. I don't really get what they're... I guess I get what they're going for, but I'm not a fan of it. I like the little intro with that flickering effect that Graham's doing on his guitar, and I like the little ooh in between the verses. Um, but this, I mean, this dates back to the Leisure Tour, and I think it really shows. This is like... Yeah, this sounds like a Leisure song. Definitely. The polluted water stuff, I guess, recalls, like, Plastic Beach, which is kind of cool, but... but Sure, but... I just yeah, don't, I like, don't this. like this. I don't like this vocal no. effect. I don't. I think the jam that functions as its chorus is just, like, underwhelming. I don't like the groove that Alex is trying to do here. It doesn't even really have a chorus, yeah. Alex said that the band was going for My Bloody Valentine, which I, which I, I see, I, mm-hmm. you know, but it's it just... Also, by the time that outro happens, it goes on for like a full minute with that 
kind of annoying buzzing guitar feedback and, and the just like it's just really dragged just for me I don't know before I put on this album and intentionally listen to every track to prepare for this episode I don't think I've listened to this song since I was like 15 it was an early cut for Trevor yeah just got rid of it yeah I feel that I feel that this next one though while I wasn't a big fan of it originally I think it really grew on me Miss America Michael <laughs> yeah yeah definitely I love this one a lot I like this uh, one a lot love some yeah. studio chatter Michael love that great that's Graham Coxon uh, shouting at I don't remember who it was somebody some label guy I think uh, publisher Mike Smith there you go and I love yeah. this snapping dripping percussion here that's Graham Coxon by the way Dave Roundtree not on this song at all interesting but yeah this song is so atmospheric and very evocative I love it feels like a real shout out to another British legend, Sid Barrett. Oh! Another kind of old English fairy tale character, I think. This is a rare early blurs chorus with no big harmonies on it, which I really respect. I respect a lot of the restraint all over this song, actually. I love how Graham's guitar plays the chorus melody, but like just like a quarter step behind Damon's vocals, so it just feels like it's like stumbling along with him a little bit. Miss America sits in the shower. She's plucking owls from the sky. Picks up the telephone into another home. Don't ask me why. I think the the of the slower melancholic numbers here. I I definitely like personally lean more towards the like earnestness and nostalgia of, of like blue jeans but the but the more abstract sneer of miss america is is still very fun and and in the upper half of these songs i think i i, I think it's, it's very playful too especially damon's vocal melody during the verses too i think i love that she no jelly beam she a jemima oh oh that's very cool, cool. <laughs> very good i like it yeah <laughs> Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Love it. Impressionistic, sneering, fun, good times. Not so sure about this next one, though. Villa Rosie? You don't like this one? Practice doesn't make perfect when you're interpreting. Speaking triple can make it confused with heavy breathing. There's, there's stuff I like here. I like this intro, which I think is very weird for this era of Blur. I, I like that intro. I think, the, I think the vibe established by the intro keeps up the whole song. I like this. I think this one's pretty cool. It's a good, it feels like a good late period track to have on here. I do, uh, I always smile at that first, woohoo, at the, in the background. I like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The chorus here, though, feels like, kind of like territory we've kind of already tread on this record, which... A little bit, and I could see like you specifically not being super into this one, considering what a big fan of uh, Sunday Sunday you are. Yeah. Because this definitely feels like it's hitting the same note that Sunday Sunday does. It's a song about empty people looking for things to fill themselves up with and just not being able to do it no matter how hard they try. Really love Graham Solo here a lot, though. I love both the first half of it, which is very riffy and, and very nervous, and then the second half of it, which is like more confident, it's got a real soaring feeling to it. That's like, I think one of the best Graham guitar moments on the record really helps this song out for me. Um, do like the verses. Uh, but yeah, I, I kind of like what, what 
Alex James was describing the song as being about like a a fictional members only bar that has this secret door that brings you into like a Narnia like area, which is funny. That's absolutely what I've always heard it as. And I've seen I've always imagined it as Blur doing a commercial for that establishment. <laughs> sure, yeah. Yeah, I don't which know. Is, which has really endeared the song to me, actually. It's just the hook. It's just the hook that kind of holds this one back for me, I feel. I like it. I like it. Um, I'm also, also a pretty big fan of this of, next one. Oh, wow. I'm also kind of a little down on it. How awkward. I'm a little down on it. I don't know. Coping. There's a few versions of this. One of them is an Andy Partridge one. We mentioned him earlier of XTC fame. It does not surprise me at all that he couldn't get along with the boys. He famously, like, hates almost everyone he's ever worked with and apparently tried to make a Samba version of coping, and it was not good. Weird. <laughs> Weird. But what's funny is then once Stephen Street came on to, pr- to produce, they still did, like, two more versions of it. I just don't understand why the labels were so keen on getting this one right it doesn't strike me as a as a money maker particularly definitely not and it doesn't even strike me as necessarily a very vital song to the record no but i do like it for what it is i, I quite like it actually i think it's a fun little tune i guess again here my main problem is the chorus which i think feels a little bit undercooked a little bit tuneless but most of what's happening here i, I think is pretty pleasant i like the kind of dit 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 tempo of those verse vocals and the, the malaise of the lyrics, I think, is a little, gen- like, too general, you know? I feel like Damon did a better job talking about ennui when he gives it to his characters and follows them around through their days than when he's just kind of going, I'm too tired to care about it, which feels, again, a little bit leisure to me. Um, yeah, a little bit. But, I don't know, I kind of pair Villa Rosie and, or Via Rosie and, and Coping Up as, as two, like, middling tracks for me, mostly because... I don't love these hooks. I think that's a pretty fair take, actually. I'm a bit more fond of them than you are, I think, but they are kind of mid-level tracks. Sure, I feel that. They're, I don't dislike yeah. them. They're yeah. not. They're not down in the in the oily water and and pressure on Julian. No, and what I think makes Modern Life is rubbish such a strong record is that I really enjoy these mid-level tracks. Like, sure, it has its peaks, but even when it dips below those peaks, it's usually still riding pretty high. And I'm a big fan of this song. I became a much bigger fan of it after I heard the Live at the Budokan version on that live album that Blair put out. It's really good. They pick up the tempo there, and they really rock it out. I should give that a listen. I should definitely, definitely give that a listen. And I should try to see if I can find the Samba version. Yeah, I'd love to hear that, too. But the live one is super deranged. And I think they do a good job of bringing that into the studio, too. I love that uh, Damon ad lib in the back of the round of one of the last choruses where he goes, can I be dreaming or am I just coping? <laughs> That's great. Very good. And then he breaks into the la-la-las at the end. He's always going back to those on this I album. I think they're very good on this this song, too, and maybe might be yeah. the reason why labels thought they should do something with this song. I don't know. Maybe, maybe. It's a, it's a cool, they, they uh, mirror that synthesizer line, which is also really cool and wacky sounding so we're almost coming in for the close here but we've got one more kind of pre-closer track to talk about here which is uh which is my my second hard skip turn it up
Turn It Up, which is another uh, leisure tour track. The band hates this song. Um, Graham said, it turned out to be a middle-of-the-road rock song. It didn't have peculiarity, so we were turned off by it. Damon, a little bit more to the point, says, it's crap. I wouldn't have had it on the album. Uh, Balf thought it was the only song that had a vague chance of doing well in America, so he insisted on it being there. You didn't. You you couldn't have heard it, but I just made the weirdest gesture. <laughs> what? I didn't hear it. <laughs> Can you try to explain it? I just like I. Who could picture this song doing well on the radio? So I'm not a, a big stand of Blur. I like Blur. Um, I feel like when you when you when you love a band, you you want to love the songs that the band loves. You want to love the cool songs. But fuck it. This is my second favorite song on this album, motherfucker. Eat it. I love this song. That's ridiculous. What do you like about it? I think this is a great pop song. It's definitely, it's definitely my favorite of the early material here. I love, oh, like, okay. Oh, I'm so sorry, Trevor. I'm so sorry that your 24-year-old hero geniuses wrote a pop song and forgot to throw in five key changes in the middle of it and, and wrote a nice pop chorus. It's not a good pop song. I love the bright harmonies on the verses, any way you choose it all. I love that. I love the the great bright guitar work here. I love this hook. I think it's monster hook. I love the the ah the big choral ah and the pre-chorus. This is a, a if I pick two songs to rescue from Modern Life is Rubbish for my blur playlist, this is the second one after Blue Jeans. I fucking love it, Trevor. That's ridiculous. You're bleh. I don't get I it. I love it! Yeah, sure. It's great. It's not too fiddled over. It's an effortless piece of pop music joy. Definitely feels effortless. <laughs> you want to talk about uh, the, the kind of what feels like the proper closer of the album, Resigned? Sure. So this dates back to the same late 1991 session as Oily Water. I think it's a better song than Oily Water. This feels very leisurely, but in a good way, I think. In a better way. It feels grounded in the same way some of Leisure was able to, and I think it works to end the album on this note. I like this arpeggiated little chord progression that Graham is picking his way through. Uh, He's got that tremolo guitar. It sounds very refined. It sounds very weighty. It sounds stately. Good to hear Damon playing the melodica properly on here. If you recall, there's that off track on leisure where he just hammers chords and it sounds terrible so it actually sounds pretty nice here yeah i think what damon's doing here vocally and lyrically i would maybe underhandedly compliment as being like aggressively competent not necessarily a misstep here but he's not doing anything that stands out i mean he's his vocals are also pretty low in the mix actually like this isn't one of his star vocal performances either it's a very uh low-key close to the record but i think the sonics and the build are strong and i think it's a good album closer me too but i do think that that fade out could have easily come like a minute and a half earlier the outro i think does drag it just kind of goes once it, it reaches peak build it really just stays 
the same thing for like two minutes. So, yeah, but it's kind of the last song on the record, so I'm fine with letting them just kind of ride this one out. I could have used, let's say, 30 seconds less of it. It's just a little tiny bit too much, I think. Um, yeah. But then the album's not really over because there's one more little thing that happens. No, yeah, just like us plugging those headphones earlier, you got a little bit of a commercial break at the end. Another minute-long instrumental track that's kind of the boys banging on their instruments and speeding up towards the end. This is just like Intermission. This dates back to the Seymour days, and it would be played as the closer at those same gigs when the venue had a piano, and uh, it was called the outro then. Great Graham quote about those gigs. He says, Damon would look like a panda afterwards. And he used to be sick on stage almost every show. We drank so much. I'd have a bottle of wine under my chair, under the chair my amp was sat on, and I'd swig my way through it through the show. This is a this is endemic of a signature affliction of blur album sequencing, Trevor, which drives me up the fucking wall, which is the maddening decision of writing a pretty good album closer. And then feeling the need to come back for a little for a little jaunting wink. I can't stand it, Trevor. I hate this. They do this a couple times throughout their career. They kind of do an inverse of it on 13 in a way that works, I think. But <laughs> yeah, they do it here. They do it on Park Life. And you know what? I'm not a fan. I would cut this. On its own, I think it's fine. It's the, like, the noodly thing that Graham's doing is like a little fun. But it's still, I think it's inferior to intermission on its own grounds as a piece of music. But as an album closer, it just frustrates me because, like, why did you make me sit through that that two-and-a-half-minute outro on Resigned if you weren't actually going to use it to finish your record? Like, Yeah, it, it feels very tacked on. Although you might be happy to learn that I have an abridged version of Modern Life is Rubbish like I do for pretty much every Blur album. <laughs> well, it is, to be fair, I like this record. It is, like, 16 songs and an hour long, so... You know, that's a little that's a little much, maybe, maybe. The American version is even longer because they throw on not only the band's recent single Pop Scene, which they weren't a fan of, primarily due to its lack of success. Pop Scene always struck me as like a very right down the middle of the of the the leisure sound and the modern life sound. Yeah, it's okay. You don't need to listen to it. It's fine. Um yeah, pop scene, they throw that on there. And also two B-sides, uh, When the Cows Come Home and Peach. Didn't listen to either. Didn't listen to either. Cows is pretty good, and it actually would work pretty well as a closer to this record as a hidden track after Resigned. But it's not on my version. Okay. Do you want to, do you want me to take you through what I've got? Here's why I'm interested in hearing this version, Trevor. Like I, like I said earlier, the role Modern Life has always played in my life is like the three or four songs that I really like from it. I'm almost ready to upgrade it to an album that I'll put on every now and then, but I yearn for a, a, a more aqualine, you know, uh, uh, pared down version. So maybe you can hit me with that. Well, my version's only 12 songs in 46 minutes. So I think Good. I've got it down to a pretty digestible length. Side one, you got six songs, For Tomorrow, Advert, Colin Zeal, Pressure on Julian, Star Shaped, and Blue Jeans. Sure. That's pretty solid side one, I think. Yeah, nothing wrong there. A good introduction to this new world of Blur. If you had to slash one, maybe Julian, but it's fine. Side two opens with Chemical World, starting off with a single, going into another single, Sunday, Sunday. And we're taking it down a bit with Miss America. Cool. And then you got this closing trio of Villa Rosie, cool. Coping, and Resigned. Yeah, I might, uh, just for the Dylan Flynn version of it, I might I might knock out either Villa Rosie and Coping and put, turn it up in it because I like it so much. But, you know, that's me. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> cool. I would definitely recommend everyone check that out. Make sure, if you can, choose the demo version of Chemical World. I do like both versions, and I think that both versions probably work fine in context of the album. The single one works really well as a side two opener because you got that really bombastic guitar intro. Britpop era. We've gotten to it. We're here. How many monkeys and Britpop? Huh? Next time we'll talk about their real big Britpop album, Park Life. I feel slightly like, I don't know what the word would be, heretical to think of of two West Coast American dudes weighing in on Park Life, but we'll, we're going to do it. Yep. We're going to do it. But first, we have quite a few albums and one movie to get through before we get back to that. Do you want to walk the listeners through what's going to happen on this season of Halloween Monkeys? Hell yeah, I do. Oh, I'm so excited to finally, to finally tease this shit. Okay, so we've just crossed off our Blur album for the season. As you know, we will be going phase by phase through collaborators from one to four and finishing with a movie night. Will we also announce uh, which episode Maxton will be on or will that be a surprise when it happens? That'll be a fun surprise when it happens, I think. Oh, very cool. Maybe maybe you at home can speculate uh, on our various social media platforms. For instance, will he show up on the next episode focusing on our season one collaborator in which we will review... Millennium Metaphors. By Life Ciphers! Millennium Metaphors! You knew it was going to happen. It's going to be great. By Life Cipher. I have no idea what this album is like. I know it won awards. It won, like, legit awards back in the day. So, you know, let's meet By Life Cipher on their own turf and figure out what's going on with those boys, right? And then, maybe, maybe just as controversial of a collaborator for our Phase 2 entry this season, Trevor. Right, we're going to be discussing Sean Ryder of Dare fame. We're going to be tackling Pills, Thrills, and Belly Aches by his band, The Happy Mondays. From Britpop to Manchester, can you believe it? Uh, and then and then phase, uh, phase 3, I think this is an important one to hit, is, is because we've already kind of gotten the two other, like, big woven into the lore collaborators out of the way i think it's important that we get to sun moon and stars himself most deaf on black on both sides very exciting we originally planned to talk about that uh last season before the untimely passing of good old mes we bumped the follow up to see uh season six but now we're going to be talking about most deaf black on both sides it's a classic rap album maybe the wild card of this season is our phase five episode right but you and i love this guy too much to not jump at the quickest opportunity to talk about one of his records we're going to be discussing the The midnight Midnight hour Hour. by jamie principal jamie principal has an album it's from i think the early 90s i cannot wait i cannot wait i have not heard a single second of it i don't know what the music is like i'm not going to check it out until it's time to prep for the episode so nobody spoil anything for me because i want to go in blind i kind of just hope that it's nothing but house beats and hype manning for an hour (laughs) i'd give it a 10 I felt like our last, our first and previous movie night went very well. And so I'm very excited yes. to sit down with you for the second inaugural Hallelujah Monkeys movie night when we watch Ben Mendelssohn's big corporate coming out party, Rogue One. The role that landed him uh, his spot on humans, right? Yeah. Yep. I think so. We're going to talk about Star Why Wars not? on the podcast. How cool is that? We're going to watch a Star Wars movie on our Gorillas podcast. Perhaps. Yeah. Perhaps holding us back from making the Star Wars spinoff podcast for another another year or so. Which nobody needs. Who needs another one? There's so many. No. Yeah. 
Going to be a great season. I cannot wait. I'm very excited. It's going to be a very fun season. And hey, who knows what surprises will pop up along the way, right? We're also going to have to take a detour to uh, talk about the now now in a month. Oh, fuck so yeah. And look then, forward to that track by track review. And then we've got all these all these odds and ends, gorillas things that could show up at any moment. We've got some Powerpuff Girls to watch. We've got all kinds of things yeah. to happen uh, in between now and the end of the season, perhaps, and beyond. Uh I guess until then, I'd like to encourage all of you to get in touch with us on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and Amino and Tumblr. Send us an email to hallelujahmonkeys at gmail.com. Leave us a review on iTunes. We, have, we haven't gotten that many new ones this year. Now would be a great time with the new album coming out. Gets us that search bar placement so that Gorillaz fans in need of that sweet, sweet Phase 5 content can find us. Uh, I also just like hearing people say good things about me. Also, always great. You know, you can even just leave five stars and say it sucks though. That still works. <laughs> That's fine. That's fine. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and definitely go to our Discord, discord.me slash monkeys with a Z. Uh, also on the the Patreonkeys Club, I believe, I don't want to say what it is, but we've got something coming pretty soon out on that feed, Trevor, right? Probably by the end of the week. Yeah, I'll be dropping a new little project, so that'll be cool. Pretty exciting. Go to patreon.com slash monkeys for a dollar or more a month. You get access to all and you get all of our fun track by track reviews that we've recorded for some of our listeners who were kind enough to donate more than five dollars and request some albums for us to listen to. So much good, good premium content on patreon.com slash monkeys Trevor. Join today. Uh I guess that's it. That's all the places that I want them to interact with us, Trevor. Uh, I guess I guess that brings us to the end of the very first episode of Season 7 of Hallelujah Monkeys. Well, I'm looking forward to recording the rest of the season with you, Dylan. I'm looking forward to experiencing uh, Phase 5 with you. But I think all that's left to say for now is that I've been Trevor Ickrath. I've been Dylan Flynn. Don't you get lost in heaven. Demo. Sarah